to hear. All right, let's pray. Father, there's so many things that have happened this morning that just, again, help us to realize how blessed we are. We have sung of your faithfulness. We have sung of your peace, Lord, that passes all understanding. We have thought and reflected on the greatness of what you're doing around the world to touch the lives of people who otherwise are worth nothing. In the eyes of most people, they're nobodies. But Lord, every person is of value to you. And we thank you that, Lord, you are doing great and wonderful and marvelous things through your people. We pray that you would continue to be glorified through us, among us, and that, Lord, you would be glorified even in the moments we have together today as we look into your word. Help us to see you clearly and to worship you as you truly are. As our faithful God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like a diamond that is cut with multiple facets so that it can reflect light and produce a brilliant shine when it's put under the brilliant light, so God has a multifaceted character and various traits that are are full of perfection and glory. And the more we look and see and understand who God is, the more we see and appreciate, hopefully, the glory of his various attributes. The attribute of God we want to think about and examine this morning is, as we've been talking about, as you know uh, already, the faithfulness of God. Richard Strauss puts it this way. He says, "All all of God's attributes operate in conjunction, never in isolation. If everything about God is true, then he has no alternative but to be faithful. We sometimes go back on our word because we are unable to do what we intended to do, such as when we have been hindered by a storm from taking our children on a picnic that we promised them. But God is omnipotent, and He can do anything He pleases. And so as we pointed out in previous weeks, God is holy, He is set apart, He is unique. Uh, There's none like God, and no one, therefore, is as reliable, and no one meets that same standard of of reliability and faithfulness as God alone. No one measures to his standard of trustworthiness. And the scriptures are jam-packed with affirmations about and full of evidence about God's faithfulness. And so this morning we're going to search a number of them. I don't expect you to look at all of them. I've given you many of the verses in your notes uh, but I would like you to follow along and listen now. Is the first point we're going to look at is the affirmations regarding God's faithfulness. There are many of them. We're just going to touch on several of them. Secondly, this morning, we're going to consider several proofs, the evidences, the, the clear indication that God indeed is faithful. And he's shown it in several significant areas. We'll look at those briefly. There are four of those. And then we will conclude with a number of practical applications because it doesn't make any sense to talk about God's faithfulness if we don't anchor it down to where we live every day. So let's look first of all then at the biblical affirmations regarding God's faithfulness. We start with the names of God because God has revealed his character through his own names, through the titles that he has not only claimed for himself, but as also as the authors of scripture have used to address him. We start off in Deuteronomy chapter 7, where Moses reminds the children of Israel why they can trust God as they move forward now into the promised land. And this is what he said. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God. 
He would also read, if you fast forward in the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 22, Moses recorded the words of a song. Did you know Moses wrote several songs? And we have the words. We don't know what the tunes are, but maybe someday we'll hear them as we gather with all the saints someday around the throne. And he wrote the words of a song, again, trying to give his people an ability to remember the things that he was trying to have them uh, hold on to and to keep in mind. And so he highlights reasons why they should move forward into the land of promise with confidence. We read in Deuteronomy 32, Ascribe greatness to our God. His work is perfect for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He is a God of faithfulness. What a great way to describe God. And against the backdrop, if you fast forward several centuries, many centuries later, against the backdrop of Judah's unfaithfulness, which becomes very evident as time goes on, if you know anything about the history of the people of God, they went from a time of great um, blessing and expansion of the kingdom under David's rule, and then it just declines, 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 get worse and worse and worse as the time goes on. And by the time of Hosea, this is what he declares. Ephraim, which is a way of referring to Israel, surrounds me, that is with God, surrounds me with lies. And the house of Israel surrounds me with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One, who is what? Faithful. What a contrast between God and His children. They are clearly nowhere on the same page in terms of faithfulness. The Apostle Peter If you look in the New Testament, admonish the first century believers how to respond to various forms of persecution that they were facing. Under Nero and various Roman emperors, the Christians were really going through it. And so he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, Let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to whom? To a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so he points out the fact that even in the midst of going through persecution, God still is faithful. Jesus revealed himself to the Apostle John in the last book of the New Testament, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In chapter 8 there, he reveals himself as the faithful and true witness and also promises to return to earth with the title, The One Who Is Faithful and True, Revelation 19. Well, I'm just skimming the surface. There are many of those names given to God. But not only is he given names we find for God as being faithful, but there are also a number of writers of Scripture affirmed and celebrated God's faithfulness in redemptive history. We read in Psalm 119, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Which is another echo of Psalm 100. Unto all generations God's faithfulness is seen. And then amid the rubble and the ruins of Jerusalem, as we read earlier this morning in Lamentations chapter 3, here is Jeremiah looking at all the devastation that happened to Jerusalem and where the people of God celebrated the place where God had placed His name. And they look at the ruins, and in the midst of that, he nonetheless makes this declaration, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And then we say, what does he say about God's faithfulness? He doesn't say his faithfulness occasionally shows itself to be something you can count on. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3. 
In, con- in contrast to the ungodly that David was dealing with during the time in which he wrote some psalms, there were people that he was dealing with who loved to involve themselves in acts of wickedness. They would lay, he says, on their bed at night and think of wicked things they could do, all their evil schemes. He says, in contrast with that, I think and meditate upon God. Psalm 36, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. It can't be measured. It is so great. There are limits to human faithfulness. We're all aware of that, aren't we? People who promise one thing and then they do another. But God's faithfulness cannot be measured. And then I've got two quotes in your notes. See if you can follow along. One is from William MacDonald as he draws to a conclusion from this and other biblical passages about God's faithfulness. The Lord is absolutely trustworthy in all His ways. He is absolutely true to His word. No promise of His can ever fail. God can neither lie nor deceive. And then he quotes several verses there, including Titus 1. God cannot lie. The Word of God is the surest thing in the universe. If God says something, there is no risk to believing it. We are foolish not to believe it. Amen? Okay, some of you are still awake. That's good. Amen? We are foolish not to believe His promises. Only if it's true that He truly is faithful, and He is. Then let's look at Paul Washer. He has another quote, very helpful. He says, God is worthy of absolute trust. His people can depend on Him without doubt and without reservation. God is faithful not because He does everything His people desire, but because He does all He has promised. That is so important to understand. What a difference. Some people think, oh, you can't trust God because it didn't go my way. No, no. We trust God because of His promises. And He always is faithful to keep His promises. I'm wondering if some of us are having a struggle trusting God. Because some of us have somehow concluded in our minds that we are disappointed with what God has sort of allowed to happen or what has happened in my life. Things have not gone the way I had hoped they would. And my assessment of my life leads me to question and say, well, God, you didn't seem to be very faithful to me back then. But I'm wondering if a lot of our disappointment is rooted in an assumption that says we've drawn the conclusion that God is not faithful based on our outcome, that we wish our plans would have been executed according to what we really wanted, rather than what? Rather than according to God's promises. God does not promise us a life of no problems and where everything is smooth sailing and you can just be comfortable every day 24-7. God's promises are what? I will give you all sufficient grace. I will be with you at all times. Those kind of promises we can count on. He is trustworthy in terms of what He has promised. That is so important. Well, I want to move now quickly through a couple of biblical proofs of God's faithfulness. Point number two. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Just checking. Uh, Just checking. The Bible emphasizes four areas where God's people see clear evidence of His faithfulness. The first is God's covenants. God's covenants. Throughout redemptive history, God has made promises to His people. These promises are commitments that He has obligated Himself to fulfill without fail. 
Earlier we considered that verse in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, which Moses referred as to God as the faithful God. Remember I started off with that verse? He goes on to say, as you continue reading that verse into the next verse, he says, the faithful God who keeps covenant to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Wow, what a great celebration of the covenant faithfulness of God. Solomon, centuries later, in 1 Kings chapter 8, offers a prayer on the dedication of the temple. And in this prayer, he, said, he celebrates God and his faithfulness. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. What a great reminder that God does keep his covenants. He is a covenant-keeping God. First Kings chapter 8 was where that's found. Then if you slip on over to Isaiah chapter 54, Isaiah reminds the people of God, uh, speaking on behalf of God, what God is like. He says, The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake. In other words, the worst disasters may occur that possibly can occur, can occur in nature. But my loving kindness, God says, will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. He says, in the worst earthquake, which they did have a lot of earthquakes in that part of the, there is a ridge that runs right up through what, is, uh, what was at the time the promised land. Uh, they have had many earthquakes there. He says, even though the earth is shaking, he says, my covenant will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And many times people in history have broken covenants with God, but God has never, God has never gone back on his promises that he has made to his people. You can bank on it. He's a covenant-keeping God. The second area that is given proof to God's faithfulness is the word of God. Similar but not the same. The word of God. Here's a powerful reminder in Joshua where he reiterates at the end of his life, Joshua chapter 23, at the end of all these years now, he's been taking the people into the promised land he says, you know in your, in your hearts that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All has been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Wow, what a great word to give the next generation. Reminding them of the faithfulness of God to his words. At the dedication of the temple, again, Solomon declares in 1 Kings chapter 8, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. He ties it all the way back to Moses of how God has shown faithfulness to his word. In the 40th chapter of Isaiah, we read, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, our God, stands forever. Politicians who have been in public office for any length of time, and some of them have been in office far too long, in my opinion. But if they've been in office for, for a bit of a time there, they have a tendency, having been in office, to sense that there's a shifting of the winds on opinions about certain matters. And they'll put their wet finger up in the air, and they'll wait and feel how the wind's blowing at that moment, and they'll shift, and they'll move their direction of what they've had a position on, and they'll move to another position and take a different stance. There's a term for that. We call it flip-flopping. 
It's fairly common. I understand it. They're trying to sustain their own popularity. They're trying to just remain in place and keep people electing them. So they do whatever they can. But let me just tell you something right now. God never flip-flops. His word is true. His word it does not change. His yes is yes. His no is no. Second Corinthians 1. His word is sure and true. He never speaks out of both sides of his mouth, which is what we're so used to when it comes to people in political, public uh, places of um, position of authority. Let's look at a third one. We've talked about a God, the covenants that God made, his words, also his works. God's works are another proof of his faithfulness. Here I'll read from Psalm 33. All the Lord's work is done in faithfulness. All the Lord's work is done in faithfulness. And I think of an example of that would be, for, uh, for example, is Genesis chapter 8. We've just read about and they've just experienced, uh, Noah and his family have seen the devastation of all the earth with the flood. A massive flood. A, a flood that destroyed not only human life, but many forms of life upon the face of the earth. And as they're getting out of the ark, as they're beginning to start and begin life anew in this totally devastated realm, God gives this promise, Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. I think about that verse every time I am freezing in the winter because I'm thankful that there's the promise of summer. God keeps his promise. And every time I'm like this past week, when it's so humid and the sweat's pouring off of me, I say, thank you, God, there's winter coming. They don't say that in Ecuador because they're right on the equator. It's the same there all the time. But anyway, the point is what? Day after day, season after season, year after year, God is faithful in his works. Every time you sense the changing of the seasons, that ought to remind you, oh yeah, God's faithful. Look at this. Every year the leaves come off those trees. Every year I see that after the long winter, here comes the buds coming out of the ground for spring. It's an evidence. It's speaking to us. God is faithful. God is faithful. He holds the earth right there on its axis as it goes around the sun. Isaiah 25. Isaiah praised God and his faithful works in this way. He says, O Lord, I will give thanks to your name for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. You know, we can count on God's promise to work out completely what he has promised to do. For example, the process of sanctification and making us more like Christ. We know that what he's begun, he's going to complete because he promised. Philippians chapter 1, I'm confident, Paul said, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is so true. And we need to celebrate the fact that God is at work according to and in keeping with his faithfulness. What a great reminder, especially when we struggle with many of our failings and the many times in which we fall flat on our face and don't seem to be very faithful ourselves. Fourthly, under this realm of the proof of God's faithfulness, very quickly, the greatest demonstration of God's faithfulness is seen in the coming of God's one and only Son. You see, from the earliest chapters of Genesis... We find promises from that point and throughout the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Messiah and His coming. 
and the salvation that the Messiah would bring. And after thousands of years, these promises were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not all of them, but many of them have been fulfilled in the first coming. And Mary, when she was given news and reaffirmed the word of what was happening to her, and she was going to give birth to the Messiah, she celebrated God's faithfulness, and she said it this way in Luke chapter 1. God has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So she sees that what was happening in her generation when she was giving birth to this miraculous child, she ties it all the way back to the promises of God, back to Abraham. And she knew her theology. That was exactly correct, as God had given that promise to Abraham to bless the nations, and through him, through his seed, would come the wonderful one who blessed all. Paul does the same thing in Romans chapter 15. He says this, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that is to the Jewish people, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Even Paul sees it's connected with when we see Christ, we see the faithfulness that God has shown to his promises in sending the Messiah. And Jesus' incarnational ministry fulfilled so many promises found in Hebrew scriptures It's a reminder again and again that God, indeed, can be trusted. Here's how Charles Spurgeon summarized God's trustworthiness. He said this, God writes with a pen that never blots. Now, you don't know what that means if you've never used a fountain pen, but if you've ever used a fountain pen, it has these big ink splats that therefore, what, obliterate what you're trying to write so you can't read it. His ink, his pen never blots, He speaks with a tongue that never slips. That is, he doesn't say one thing and then, oh, I didn't mean to say that. He speaks with a tongue that never slips and he acts with a hand that never fails. That's our God. He has shown himself, at least in those four areas, and there are many others, to be faithful. All right, let's bring this down to where we live to the practical areas of application. Now, are you still with me? Because this is important. I don't want you now to be checking out. This is where it really gets down to where uh, rubber meets the road here. Biblical applications in view of God's faithfulness. Now, one of the fundamental responses to God's faithfulness is for us to respond in trust, to trust God. That seems so simple, doesn't it? And yet, there's so many angles to this thing, we could really unpack this for a couple of hours, but let's just take a few thoughts here. In Romans chapter 4, we have Abraham, who's known to be the one who is the father of Uh, the Jewish people, he responded in faith to God's promise. God's promise was your wife, Sarah, she's going to give a birth to a son. And it's this son now, the son of promise. And we read there in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. What does that mean? The verse goes on to say this, he was fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. To be fully assured that what God had promised, he's able to perform. He can do that. And that's what it means to trust. And since God is faithful, he keeps every one of his promises. We can trust his wisdom. We can trust his direction. We can trust his word. We can trust his ways. Psalm 37 says this, Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. So the idea of committing our way to God, trusting what we're doing in the things that we face, we trust God in those things. And the Lord knows what's best for us, and He will do what He has promised. And consider the promise of Sarah, again, 
responding like Abraham. She, of course, laughed at one moment. Remember that? She's in the tent going, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Me give, a, give birth to a baby? Forget it. She's laughing. Of course, that was the name of Isaac, right? He laughs. And then there's a lot of irony going on there. But here is Sarah, and this is what we read about her in Hebrews 11.11. 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who promised. Her response to God, even though she laughed at one point, eventually she did believe in God, and she considered him faithful who promised. Now you say, well, I can identify with that. There are times when I do trust God, but there are many times where I laugh and I say, yeah, right. I really don't trust you here, God. I'm worried sick about this situation. I'm really forgetting that you've made all these promises. And this is where I'm convinced that when we are finding ourselves indulging in our thought life in ways in which we really are not trusting God and our words and our actions betray that kind of lack of trust, we need to take God at his word. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need to confess our sins, trusting in God's promise. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at 1 John 1, 9, right? 1 John 1, 9, you know that one? If we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. Faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The verse comes in the context of people who said what? Well, we're not even going to admit we have sin. You know, we don't don't even admit that we have any sin. He says, no, you can't say that. That's not even being truthful. But you need to be honest and admit that you do struggle with sin. You actually have many sins that we commit. And so he's saying, admit your need for cleansing. Take God at his word. Christ paid for your sin by giving himself as a sin offering in your place. Therefore, we confess and admit it. Say, Lord, I say the same same thing about my sin as you say about it. And when God promises full forgiveness and cleansing from all unrighteousness, He means it. He means that. He's not just saying it. And you look at Christ and you see the proof of that. Christ bore our sins upon Himself on that cross. And God is true to His Word. He's faithful to His covenant. And what was the new covenant pledge He made? He says in Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He's appealing to this verse in 1 John 1, 9. Say, God's faithful to this covenant, the new covenant. He will forgive us. And because God is faithful, we should therefore believe the gospel. Some people think, well, you come to faith and it's just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. You keep on believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to keep on believing the gospel every day. As we do sin, as we fall short, we believe for cleansing and confess our sins to him. You see, the fact is that God cannot charge two people for your sin. If Christ has paid for your sin, He cannot, He's a just, a righteous God, and He's faithful, He cannot charge you for the same sin that Jesus paid. You're forgiven in Christ. And if Jesus paid for it and you confess it, you can be assured His promise is true and 100% reliable. And because of Jesus' once-for-all offering, of himself on the cross, those who trust in him and repent of their sins are assured of their salvation. Turn in your Bible, your pew Bible there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which is page 1356. 1356. It's a great verse, great, great verse. It it reminds us what the nature of the Christian life is. 
It's not performance. It's relationship. And he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, page 1356, verses 8 and 9, the Lord Jesus Christ will confirm you, that is, true believers, he will confirm his believers, those who believe in him, to the end. You believe that? You say, even though I mess up, even though I fail, even though I fall short, he will confirm his children by faith to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't know. Can you really trust that promise? I mean, can you really have assurance as a believer? God is faithful, he says. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. One author said, if God promised eternal life to those who receive his son, then he will deliver what he promised. He will never allow them to perish. He's faithful. He's faithful. I would just like to add another verse for those of us who struggle, because some of us, I believe, Satan has a real time with us. Many times we are harassed by guilt. We are harassed by him throwing accusations at us. We, we live under, this, um, under the cloud, the dark cloud of, of guilt and feeling uh, a sense of which we never really understand the, the glories of forgiveness and full shaking off of all the shame that we have in our life. And I want you to hear this word now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what God promises his children. He says, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So even, even Satan, when he throws all these accusations, he says, God is faithful. He's going to help you stand against the evil one by saying what? I am in Christ Jesus and the blood of Christ cleanses me from all sin. Praise God. Some of us need to know that God is faithful even against our enemy. And he's faithful in terms of completing what he's begun in us. Preach the gospel to ourselves. Trust God every day. Keep trusting him. Secondly, another appropriate way to respond in light of God's faithfulness is to pray. You see, prayer is built upon the foundation of God's reliability. It makes no sense to pray if God is not trustworthy and reliable. David, when he was alone and oftentimes in danger, he would offer his prayers to God, many of them recorded in the Psalms. Listen to this one, Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He's then now, he's, he's talked about it from his own perspective. Now he's going to speak to those he knows are going to read his writing. He says this, trust in God at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. If we trust God and we know that his promises are true, then we're going to talk to him and count on those promises. You actually should pray the scripture back to God and trust him to keep his promises. It really does make a tremendous impact on your life if you pray the scriptures back to God. And let me just say this. Prayerlessness, that is the lack of prayer, and the increase of worry, they usually go hand in hand. They are the fruit of hearts that do not trust God and assume that God does not keep his promises. Prayerlessness and anxiety are evidences that we do not trust God and that we assume that God does not keep his promises. Otherwise, why are we so worried and worked up? Otherwise, why don't we pray and say, thank you, God, that you do keep your promises. I'm counting on you and turn to him in prayer. That's another barometer to check and gauge 
Where is my faith? Is it in myself or is it my trust in God? Number three, in times of testing and temptation, we can count on God's help. Here's another great verse I'd like you to turn to. 1 Corinthians 10, page 1364. 1 Corinthians 10, page 1364. Come on now, don't just sit there. You can find this. this is, you need to read this. This is a great promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And look at this. God is what? Let's say it together. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to what? Endure it. Endure it. Now, I'm sure there are many people here this morning who are struggling with some ongoing chronic problem and sometimes you may feel overwhelmed by the fact that this issue is really dragging you down. And I want you to know I have got, I've found this booklet. I've given away many of them. I have made them available through our book ministry. We've given away on our track ministry. I've got several copies on the back table. It's a booklet called Christ and Your Problems by Jay Adams. This booklet's about 20 pages long. It's an easy read. He just unpacks this one verse. He just explains it, biblically speaking, and gives you good biblical advice on how to understand what God's saying in this verse. And I've got a quote from this booklet in your bulletin, and I want you to notice what he says here about how sometimes we lose hope in the midst of problems that seem to overwhelm us. He says, perhaps you're discouraged. Perhaps you have given up all hope. Perhaps you are too hesitant to hope again. That is, you got burned in the past, and you say, okay, well, I'm not trusting God again, or I don't know what to do in the, in the future here. It's so bad. If so, listen to God's word to his own. God is faithful. There is hope. The problem you face, seemingly impregnable, seemingly insoluble, seemingly impossible, has a solution in Christ. God says, in effect, is what he says, based upon my own faithfulness, based upon the integrity of my own word and person, I declare that there is no problem that my redeemed sons and daughters ever face that is either unique or beyond their ability to handle if, if they meet the problem my way using my resources. God gives a guarantee. There is no fine print to make it worthless. Amen? There's no fine print. Have you ever seen that? Where, you know, you have this great promise. All these commercials, they have these drugs now, these amazing drugs that, oh, you'll never feel pain again. I feel so wonderful. My, everything's great. Small print. This may kill you, cause your neck to strain. It may cause blindness. You might never be able to walk again. It'll ruin every moment of your life. But these people are smiling. And there are all these little warnings in the small print, right? Takes away everything from what they're saying that's so highlighted in the commercial. God doesn't work that way. He says, I am faithful. So trust me, in the middle of your trials, in the middle of your problems, there is a way out, he says. I will show you the way through the problem. It's not always to escape the problem. It's oftentimes to realize how great is his faithfulness in the midst of the problem. More we could say about that. One final point I want to make here. And this is where, again, 
Some people say, uh-oh, he's gotten to meddling now. He's, getting, he's really stepping on toes now. Because remember, some of God's attributes are unique to God. They are incommunicable. They are unique to him only. But there are many attributes that God has that we can imitate on some level. And so the area of faithfulness is something that we too can now partake in partly and try to show ourselves to be faithful people. So one practical application of God's faithfulness is to give us an incentive now, an impetus to be faithful in our dealings with other people. So if we're going to celebrate God's faithfulness, then we also need to what? Need to sort of apply this to how faithful am I? We are called to be dependable. We are called to be people who keep our promises. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to be those who do, who their word is indeed their bond. And once we make a commitment, we're to stick with that commitment, even if it means suffering heavy loss. And I've included in your notes a verse there. Psalm 15 is a very interesting point about this, in which the the person who is truly a God, a person who fears God, they are going to what? Keep their word, even when it becomes very difficult to do so. It's going to cost me. And so he says, he who walks with integrity swears to his own hurt and does not change. Boy, that's so rare in our world today. People will back out of their commitments. Oh, well, I'm not going to do that because it's too difficult. And so they're always sort of backtracking. A person of integrity, a person who's following Christ and celebrating his faithfulness is a person who says, I'm going to, Lord, give me grace. Give me grace to stick it out here, to keep my word, even when it's not convenient. Oh, it's so vitally important for the followers of Jesus Christ to be scrupulously honest, to avoid the temptation to exaggerate the truth. And we're to be faithful, known to be people who are faithful at home. We're known to be faithful people who are at work. When you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. If you're going to take a day off, you're going to say, I'm taking a day off because I really am sick. I'm not going to take advantage of those things by exaggerating or by not being honest. And then also integrity in terms of our relationships with other members of the body of Christ. It's vital. It's so important to be known as people who are faithful. Let me talk with two things here. Let me stop with this. Years ago, the surgeon... The surgeon Spurgeon, the, sir, the preacher, Charles Spurgeon, put together some devotional thoughts based on the promises of God. And he came a very clever title of the book. He called the book a checkbook in the bank of faith. And what the point was is what? If someone gave, gives you a real check and says, here, this check is made out to you, what do you do with that check? Do you sit it just in the house, put it as a bookmark, and just hang on to it? The only reason you would do that is because you're assuming that what, the check's no good? Check's going to bounce? That's possible in our world. We all know that. Some of us have received checks that bounce. But if you hear a promise from God in the bank of faith, faith says what? I believe you, Lord. I'm going to cash that check. I'm going to count on that promise. What a great insight Spurgeon had to what? If you really believe God's faithful, then take him at his word on his promises and cash those checks of his promises. Count on them day by day. Now, what I'd like to do for next Sunday is I'd like to do this. Throughout the week, I want you to be meditating on these verses. And next Sunday morning, we're going to allow some time for people to share how has God been faithful to you. Let's give him praise and give him glory with his people next Sunday. Let's pray.
Oh, our faithful God, how we thank you and praise you that you are trustworthy. You are reliable. You're the God whose yes always is yes. Your no is always no. We thank you that you are faithful to all your promises. And oh, how we thank you for the promises that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you, you hold to your promises and that you are reliable even when we are faithless, the scriptures say. When we don't keep our word and when we do back away from what we've said we were going to do or try to do or whatever. So, Lord, help us, we pray, to keep our eyes on Christ, our faithful high priest. And I pray, Lord, that even in the times ahead that we will think about your promises. We'll take them to heart. We'll pray over them. We'll celebrate them. We'll act upon them, Lord, and cash those checks that you've given to us in those promises, knowing that you are a God who will never bounce one of the checks of your promises. So, Lord, those who are in the midst of problems and overwhelming trials and difficulties, help them to know you're faithful in the middle of all that, that they're not alone. There are many people who have gone through similar kinds of trials and that you will help them find a way of escape as they endure the things that you've brought into their life. And so, Father, help us, we pray, to trust you. For the glory of your name, we pray these things. Amen.